If you take your Bibles, you can turn along with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 18. This past August, we watched with horror and disbelief as thousands of Afghan citizens desperately crowded the outer perimeter of the airport at, in Kabul, hoping to get on one of the last flights out of Afghanistan before the final pullout of all U.S. armed forces and the resumption of power and rule by the Taliban. Many of our Afghan partners were hiding in their homes or in other places, too afraid to try to make their way to the airport for evacuation through the gauntlet of dangerous Taliban checkpoints. If these Afghans were identified By the Taliban as having helped the U.S. during the war in Afghanistan, their lives would be in danger as well as the lives of their family members. How would they ever get out of Afghanistan and this terribly dangerous situation? How would they escape the merciless hands of the Taliban? Well, to the rescue came an all-volunteer force of United States veterans of the war in Afghanistan. Many of them retired Green Berets, and you've heard this story probably. Their mission was dubbed the Pineapple Express. And these brave and heroic veterans volunteered to risk their lives to clandestinely escort these Afghan partners and their families to the Kabul airport under cover of darkness, safely evacuating as many as a thousand refugees. We can only imagine the sense of relief that must have come over these desperate Afghans at the sight of these brave rescuers, many of them whom they had known previously, who had come for them. What gratitude and thanksgiving must they have felt having arrived safely at the airport. The mission of Task Force Pineapple Express was to seek out and save as many people as they could. This morning, we're going to learn of another search and rescue mission from the Gospel of Luke. And as we will see, it's a search and rescue mission that continues to this very day, to this very moment. And in this very place, it is a search and rescue mission conducted not by special forces or retired Green Berets, but by the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And in our text this morning, Jesus makes clear what his mission is. Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. The Son of God came to this earth on a search and rescue mission. Humanity 
has been cut off from God because of our sin and our rebellion against our Creator. And in this condition, we are all facing certain judgment and destruction. But Jesus has come. He has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What good news there is for us this morning. In the mission of Jesus. A mission that continues today. This morning we're going to see two specific examples of Jesus seeking and saving mission. And in the process we'll also see how Jesus is continuing to accomplish his mission of seeking and saving the lost, even in this very context this morning. So look with me at Luke chapter 18 and verse 35, and I'll read through chapter 19 and verse 10. And we'll see these two examples of who Jesus came to save. Luke 18, 35. As Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, and he called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, They gave praise to God. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through the way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this passage of scripture which gives us such a clear statement of your mission in the world today to seek and to save the lost lord we confess today that apart from you we are the lost 
We are the ones you came to seek and to save, and we're so grateful for that. We're so relieved that it's not been left up to us to try to scratch and claw our way back to a righteous standing before a holy God, for we could never do that. Our sins are too great. They're too many. Even our righteous deeds are like filthy rags in the eyes of God. We are hopeless and helpless without you, and yet you saw us in our need. You took note of us. You drew near us, and you welcomed us to yourself. You opened our blinded eyes. You caused us to see that we were spiritually bankrupt and to cry out to you for mercy. And you heard our cries. We thank you. Lord, for those here today who maybe are still far from God, maybe still realize that they're lost, may they see that you have come to seek and save them, to seek them out, and deliver and rescue them from the wrath that is to come. Lord, may they cry out to you today for mercy and find it in your everlasting arms. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the context of our text this morning is important. Jesus' time on this earth is winding down. He is on his way to Jerusalem, He is nearing the last week of his life. And he is determined to go to Jerusalem, knowing full well what awaits him there. Look back in Luke 18 to verse 31. It says that Jesus, in Luke 18, 31, Jesus took the twelve aside, his disciples, and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished, for he will be handed over to the Gentiles, he will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon, and after they have scourged him, they will kill him, and the third day he will rise again. That, I believe, makes this story of these two interactions that Jesus had with two very different individuals, all the more striking. Jesus is on his way to his death. And yet he is not so focused on himself that he cannot see those who are in need around him, those who are seeking help, those who know their own need and cry out to him for help. But time and distance still lie between Jesus and the fulfillment he is so determined to accomplish in Jerusalem. And as Jesus travels toward Jerusalem, Luke states that he was approaching Jericho. Jericho was an important city in the south of Israel, located 18 miles east of Jerusalem, near the northern end of the Dead Sea. And it served as a key crossroads for travel and commerce and also served as a key tax collection center. This was the new Jericho, of course, because the ancient city, those walls came a-tumbling down, if you recall. And it was said that no one was to rebuild on that city, and so this is about a mile and a half away from the original city that was destroyed. But it is here at Jericho that Jesus will seek out and save Two very different people. 
Jesus is on mission here, and he is going to seek out and save two very different kinds of people. In fact, these two men couldn't be more opposite. One is blind, the other has sight. One is a beggar, the other is filthy rich. One is powerless, the other powerful. What they share in common, though, is that they both are spiritually lost. And their lives will be forever changed by this encounter with Jesus who has come to seek and to save. As Jesus interacts with these two very different people this morning, we're going to see four features of Jesus' ongoing mission of seeking and saving the lost. Four features of Jesus' ongoing mission of seeking and saving the lost. So let's break it down as we see these two parallel lives impacted and changed forever as a result of Jesus' mission. Jesus, first of all, is seeking out people, especially those on the margins. Jesus is seeking out people, especially those on the margins of society. In this first encounter that we read of Jesus, Jesus is approaching Jericho and a blind man is begging by the roadside. Mark says his name was Bartimaeus. He's a beggar, a panhandler, probably homeless. Because of his blindness, he is forced to depend upon the kindness of others. In Jesus' day, people commonly believed that those with blindness or other severe physical conditions were being punished by God. You may remember that interaction between Jesus and his disciples when they encountered a blind man. And the disciples asked Jesus, they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered them. He said, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This blind man had done nothing wrong. He was simply blind. And yet, Jesus takes note of him. Though he is on the bottom rung of the social ladder, though he is a beggar, And it couldn't be worse for him. He's a blind beggar, completely dependent on the kindness of others. That's the first encounter, the blind man, the beggar, the homeless. In the second encounter of Jesus... Chapter 19, verse 1, Jesus is now inside Jericho. He's walking with the crowds, surrounding him, following him as he goes. And here we are introduced to the man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. Luke says he was small in stature. But he was also an important and powerful man. He was no beggar. He was not dependent on the mercy and kindness of others. He didn't need anyone showing charity to him, for he was a tax collector. 
And not only that, he was the chief tax collector. Meaning he had oversight and authority over all the tax collectors in the area. Luke says he was rich, he was a very wealthy man, and yet despite his great wealth, Zacchaeus would have been greatly despised by those around him. Hated. His wealth had come by way of Roman taxation. The Roman government. And the Romans had hired him and others like him to collect Roman taxes to fuel the Roman war and government machine. Jewish tax collectors were therefore considered traitors to their own people. In addition to this significant social stigma, there was the added fact that most tax collectors used their power and authority to extort money from their fellow Jews. So not only collecting the taxes that were due, but going beyond that and leveraging their power for their own personal wealth-building interests. They charged extra. They sought bribes from people and so on. And so tax collectors, Jewish tax collectors, working for the Roman government, were considered traitors and thieves of the worst sort. And so Zacchaeus is not only a tax collector, he is the chief tax collector. He is the worst of the worst. He's the baddest of the bad. Zacchaeus had a lot of money, but he was spiritually bankrupt. If the blind beggar was on the lowest rung of the social ladder, Zacchaeus was lower still. I mean, blind beggars are at least shown pity and mercy at times. They can at least be ignored, but traitors can never be ignored. They are hated. Here are two men whose lives couldn't be more opposite, but still they share this in common. They are both on the outer fringes of society. And yet, as we will see, Jesus loves them and has compassion for both of them. Jesus is going to seek them out and he's going to save them, radically changing their lives forever. This is what Jesus did and it's what he's still doing today. Amen? Jesus is seeking out people. He is actively on a search and rescue mission for those who are lost. Even those who are on the very margins of society, especially those who are on the very margins of society. Jesus loves sinners. He loves sinners like me, and he loves a sinner like you. You may think that your life is beyond saving. You may think that there are secrets in your past that God could never forgive. There is no sin that is beyond the power of Jesus to forgive. The world might reject you. Your family might shun you. Polite society might turn their back on you. Perhaps even a church might reject you. But Jesus won't. Jesus gladly welcomes those whom others reject. He did it again and again, 
in the Gospels, and he continues to do it to this day, extending mercy, kindness, and forgiveness to the least of these, to those who are on the fringes of society. Luke 5.31, Jesus said this, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. What's Jesus talking about there? Those who are well are those who are fine in their own eye, in their own mind. They think they're doing just fine. They don't need any help. They are not in need of anyone to come in and rescue them. Imagine those frightened Afghans getting a knock on their door from these brave veterans and saying, hello, we're here to escort you. We're here to get you to the airport. And them saying, no, we're okay. I think we're going to find our own way. We can do it ourselves. We don't need your help. How foolish. It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick, those who know they need help, those who know they are at the end of their rope and there is no way out. And then Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, those who are righteous in their own eyes, those who are self-righteous, think they don't need a savior. Jesus didn't come for them. (laughs) He can't help you if you think you're fine. He's come to call sinners to repentance. So a necessary prerequisite to finding salvation is realizing that you're lost. And helpless on your own. Jesus has come for those who know their need. Who know that they are sick. And Jesus will welcome you if you come to him in sorrow over your sin, in realization of your need, and in faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. He will gladly receive you to himself and make you one of his own and forgive you of all your sins and grant you eternal life that no one can ever take away. Jesus is still seeking out the lost even those who are on the margins. Jesus loves you, and he is seeking you today. How do I know that? Because you're here. And you can hear my voice. And you can hear these truths and see them yourself in the pages of Scripture. And the Holy Spirit is testifying to your spirit, that these things are true. Secondly, a second feature of Jesus' ongoing mission of seeking and saving the lost. Jesus welcomed those who strained to see him. Jesus welcomes those who strain to see him. Again, we have these two very different characters, the blind man and Zacchaeus, the tax collector. 
The blind man hears the sound of the crowd following Jesus, and he asks, what's going on? That's in chapter 18 and verse 36. Those in the crowd explain that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Well, Jesus has conducted public ministry of healing and performing miracles and preaching and teaching the gospel, the good news, for three years now. This blind man had heard of this Jesus of Nazareth. And he realized that this was his moment. This was his chance. And it was a passing chance. It was, it was not going to be open forever. And so he calls out to Jesus in desperation. He says, Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. He must have said it pretty loudly. Because those who were leading the procession were telling him to be quiet. Shut up. They wanted him to be quiet, get lost. Jesus doesn't have time for blind beggars. Shut up and get out of the way. Stop making a nuisance of yourself. But I love what verse 39 says. But he kept crying out all the more. (laughs) All the more. I'll be louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. You can imagine the scene. This blind man staring off into the darkness of his own mind, crying out for help, not sure where Jesus is or directly where to yell or scream, but crying out all the more. He's desperate for Jesus' help. He's straining for Jesus to take note of him. And then there's the efforts of Zacchaeus. Jesus enters Jericho. He's making his way through the streets. Zacchaeus wants to get a better glimpse of Jesus, but he can't because he is so vertically challenged. All he sees is the backs of people. He can't see over the crowds. It's a challenge. But Zacchaeus will not be stopped. He is determined to see Jesus. So he runs ahead of Jesus and the crowds. And anticipating the route, he finds a suitably large sycamore tree and proceeds to climb up into it in an effort to catch even just a glimpse of Jesus passing by. Now when's the last time you saw a grown man climb a tree who's not an arborist, Daryl? <laughs> when was the last time you saw a millionaire climb a tree? I mean, they've got people for that. When was the last time you saw a high-ranking government official climb a tree? It's just not done, especially in this culture. Middle Eastern men don't climb trees, certainly not those with stature and with means. It's an honor-shame culture. That's not the culture we live in. But that's the culture of the Bible. And this would have been a shameful thing 
Zacchaeus doesn't care. He's desperate to see Jesus. So he throws his honor and pride out the window and in an act of humble desperation literally goes out on a limb to see Jesus. Here we have two men who, for very different reasons, can't see Jesus but desperately want to. Two men who are willing to strain and risk and overcome to find a way to get to Jesus. And in both cases, Jesus takes note of them and their efforts. And he welcomes those who strain to see him. God says to wayward, unbelieving Israel in Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14, He says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. It communicates an important aspect of God's character of his love and mercy and compassion and forgiveness and eagerness to grant forgiveness to those who seek him. Psalm 86.5 says, For you, Lord, are good and you are ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. What a promise. To all who call upon the Lord, he is ready to forgive. Ready. It's yours for the asking. Isaiah 55, 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord for he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. This is the God of the Bible. This is the God who sent his own son to redeem you from your sins. John 6, 37, Jesus says, The one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. It's because Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. And the lost who come to him, he will never cast out. He will abundantly pardon. Those who seek Jesus will be those who have a sense of desperation. They know their need. They know their guilt. They know their helplessness. And they know that Jesus is their only hope. And Jesus continues to this day to welcome all those who strain to see him. All those who search for him will find him. All those who cry out to him will be heard. So seek him with all your heart, and he will welcome you. What a promise. What good news for the lost. Thirdly, We see that Jesus affirms all expressions of genuine faith in him. 
Jesus affirms all expressions of genuine faith in him. So the blind man, realizing that it's Jesus who's passing by, screams out as loudly as he can, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And we could easily rush along and and pass by and miss the significance of what this man has just said. He refers to Jesus as the son of David. He could have said Jesus of Nazareth, like the others did in referring to Jesus. But the blind man is convinced that Jesus is not merely one of the Jesuses who hails from Nazareth, but that he is in fact Jesus who is the promised seed of David. Calling Jesus the son of David was an open confession that he believed that Jesus is the Messiah. God's anointed one who would bring salvation to God's people. Long ago, God promised David a descendant, a son who would be king over an everlasting kingdom, whose reign would never end. The Messiah. This blind man believes that Jesus is the fulfillment of that ancient promise made to David. The blind man believes that Jesus is the Messiah sent from God. It is a simple yet profound expression of faith in Jesus. One which Jesus affirms and accepts. Now let's look at the other interaction of Jesus. When we last saw Zacchaeus, he was carefully balancing himself on a tree branch, trying to catch a glimpse of Jesus passing by. Zacchaeus got a whole lot more than he was bargaining for. He just wanted to see Jesus. When Jesus came to the place where Zacchaeus was perched, he looked up and saw this well-dressed man dangling from a tree branch overhead. Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down, hurry, come on down. For today I must stay at your house. Now what did Zacchaeus do? Did he argue with Jesus? Did he protest? Jesus, you must have the wrong guy. Uh, Clearly, you don't know who I am. You would not want to be associated with me. You don't know what I've done. No, Jesus doesn't do any of this. He simply obeys Jesus and came right down. And then Luke says that Zacchaeus received Jesus into his home gladly with great joy. Zacchaeus' expressions and actions are far different from the blind man's, and yet they too are an expression of faith in Jesus. Doing what Jesus commands demonstrates faith in Jesus. So when Jesus offers you rest for your soul, what are you going to do? Question him? 
Are you going to say, are you sure you've got the right person? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Faith says, thank you. I believe I will. I need that. My soul is crying out for that rest. And I don't have it. And I can't achieve it on my own. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. I believe. Jesus welcomes and affirms and accepts these varied expressions of genuine faith in him. Both those expressions of faith that overtly confess and trust him as Messiah and those expressions of faith in him that simply take him at his word and obey him joyfully. Believing in Jesus is the key. Jesus accepts those who believe in him. Those who trust in him. Fourthly and finally, we learn that Jesus radically changes the hearts and lives of those who trust in him. Seeing and hearing the commotion surrounding the blind man, Jesus commands the blind man to be brought near him. Bring him over here, closer. And Jesus asked the blind man, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man says, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. We're not told that Jesus touches him. On other occasions, Jesus did that. But here Jesus simply speaks and it happens. The blind receive their sight. Jesus both grants the man's request and acknowledges the man's faith. And Luke says that immediately the man regained his sight and he began following Jesus, glorifying God. What a reversal of fortunes for this blind beggar. The blind man's heart and life were completely changed from that day forward. He received not only physical sight, but his spiritual sight as well. For from that moment on, he began to follow Jesus as a disciple of Jesus. From blind beggar to devoted disciple, Jesus radically changed this man's life. Now look with me at chapter 19 and verse 6. It says, Zacchaeus joyfully received Jesus into his home. But not everyone was full of joy about this. Not everyone thought this was great news. Look at verse 7. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But look at how Zacchaeus responded to Jesus. He, he speaks to the Lord. He says, Lord, behold, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. 
50% of my wealth. Just going to give it away. Incredible generosity from one whose life was all about taking whatever he could get, amassing as much as he could. Furthermore, he says, if I've defrauded anyone anything, I will give back four times as much. A fourfold restitution, which is not what the law required. But that's not what was motivating Zacchaeus' heart. The law. The gospel was motivating his heart. And he wanted to give it away. He wanted to make it right. I'll give back four times as much as I stole. This is genuine repentance and faith. Repentance is the fruit of faith. It is the work of faith. What a contrast this is to the rich young ruler that Jesus encountered. Remember that encounter? This rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what do I got to do to be in the kingdom? Jesus says, you know, well, how does it read to you? Yeah, love God, love your neighbor. Follow the law. He said, I've done that from my birth. I'm good. Then Jesus says to him, one thing you still lack, sell all you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And of course, we know he went away without faith and without salvation. Why? Because the God of his heart was money. Not Jesus. But here we have Zacchaeus of his own accord says he will give away half of all that he has and give it to the poor and he'll pay back and make restitution for what he has stolen from others at a rate of 400%. This is a radically changed man. And that's what Jesus does. Seeking and saving the lost doesn't just mean we are saved from eternal damnation. It certainly includes that. But it also means that we are being saved from remaining sin. That Jesus is continuing to do a work in us to make us more like himself, to transform us from the inside out. He takes our heart of stone. He gives us a heart of flesh. He gives sight to our blinded eyes. He takes our selfishnesses and turns it into generosity. Once you've truly encountered Jesus in faith, you'll never be the same person again. If you are the same person, it's likely you never encountered Jesus with genuine faith. And Jesus continues this process of transformation throughout our lives. This is what Jesus does. He seeks out and saves the lost. And he's still seeking and saving today. The only thing that's necessary for you and I is to realize our need of Jesus. Our need of being saved. 
by him. To realize that we're spiritually blind and spiritually bankrupt. Just like these two men. Spiritually blind, spiritually bankrupt, spiritually needy. And to call out to Jesus for mercy. And in faith, trust him as Savior. Beloved, Jesus is still seeking and saving today. Look to him and find salvation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these two great examples of Jesus' seeking and saving ministry. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are still seeking and saving the lost today. That's true. I know it's true because you sought me out and you saved me. I was spiritually blind and spiritually bankrupt. I had nothing, nothing to commend myself before God. And yet, Lord, you sought me out. You showed me my need. You granted me faith. And you heard my call of trust. Thank you for being such a gracious responsive, saving Christ. Lord, I pray for any here who aren't sure of their spiritual standing before a holy God, that they would make sure today that they would see their need, that they would cry out to you, Jesus. Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me trust in you and find salvation for their souls. May we all grow in gratitude for what is ours through the promise of the gospel and the gift of God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.